Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman, and I'm joined by the man who is soon to be seen on the American Gladiator remake as Squatch, Mr. Shane Reeves. That was such a great show. It was. I was listening. So I listened to the Ralph Report which was Ralph Garman, formerly of the Kevin and Beach Show. He's, he, it's on Patreon. It's like $3 a month. It's super cheap and for a daily as well. And on Tuesdays, they do TV Tunes Tuesday, where they go through like all of the, like the intro song to a classic TV show, and they tell you about who wrote it, how, you know, different iterations. This week was American Gladiator. And, man, and we were talking about it last week just... I don't remember how we were talking about it, but I just, yeah, I loved that show. And I had forgotten how many different, you know, it only ran seven seasons, but there were over 40 different, no, over 30 gladi- different gladiators. No, only, only Laser did all seven seasons. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, and then they tried a remake. With Hulk Hogan, Layla Ali, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't the same. It, there was too much production value. You know, very rarely will I say that. That you know, well, obviously, look at our show. We don't care too much about pro- production value most of the time. But it just got. It was too much about the the events and not about the people, and just it was all about the it, the, the rules got too complicated. Also, is. The chain, the amount the world changed in between the first one and the second one in the contestants. I mean, you look, one of those contestants on the second one, he went straight off the competing right into becoming a gladiator. Oh, really? I mean, he was in shape before that, and he did such a dominant job, they made him gladiator, because I think the second run ran like one and a half seasons. Yeah, it didn't go long. But um, the if you look at the average physicality of and the physique of the person competing in the original one that was on after Saturday morning cartoons. They were couch to 5K people. Yeah, yeah. They were they were simple people. They weren't out of shape. No. But they weren't athletes. But you look at the ones, it was all out-of-work actors and, you know, whoever was, was finding contestants for that, they weren't finding Joe off the street. They were finding people that kind of already were big into the physical fitness world. It's kind of like the American Ninja Warrior thing, right? Which, now that's a very different platform. Like, I acknowledge that those are different shows where you have to be in phenomenal shape to even be able to get through the first one. But, you know, it's professional rock climbers and, you know, the the people that whose job it is to be in phenomenal shape. Those are the same kind of people that were on the American Gladiator remake, and I do think that's part of why it... Also, let's talk about Ninja Warrior for a minute. You remember the original Ninja Warrior from Japan was on G4? Mm -hmm. I loved that show because you got up there, you had one shot, and and they didn't mind at all if all 100 competitors, nobody made it past the first stage. In fact, didn't the guy who designed Mount Midoriyama, or who designed the courses, says his goal was to have nobody finish it? Right. His goal was to have nobody finish it. His goal was always that. And then when American Ninja Warrior came out, they dumbed that part of it down. It's like, oh, well, whoever gets the furthest in the least amount of time gets to move forward. I hate that. I think yeah. that that ruined that show for me. Well, and I think that says a lot more about 
American programming in the fact that they had already purchased the time slots for the season on the network. So you, what happens if people don't, and you don't have the last three episodes because nobody made it far enough? Are you going to sit like Family Matters reruns? I, but I liked, that's what I liked about the Ninja Warrior original show was the pass-fail aspect of mm-hmm. it. And the guys, and the, you know, the first, the hundred, the hundred, it was a hundred competitors every time. And 86 of the first 100 just crashed and burned on the opening course. Right. And I'll, if 14, 15 of them made it through the course, first the guy that designed the course, you know, committed Harry Carey in the little pool. But everybody, <laughs> but everybody else, th- those were guys, they had conquered. The, Something phenomenal. Right. It was very significant that you made it to the second stage. You didn't make it to the second stage on there if you weren't there. Right. But the way they kind of do the American Ninja Warrior, I, I don't like the dumbing down of it. I, I like the pass-fail aspect. I don't like the shades of gray. No, I'm, I'm completely with you. Speaking of pass-fail, what do you smoke it? So, okay. Have you ever had a cigar that needed smoked? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I have. So, today, I was doing some humidor management and kind of organizing my humidor, and we were shipping cigars to Cigars for Warriors. And whenever we ship cigars to Cigars for Warriors, I always make it a point to go through my personal humidor and see what I've got in there that, you know, has been given to me or I've won or something like that. That You're making your gift seem a lot less... Hold on, hold on I'm, I'm working. Just, just stay with me here. That are good cigars, but are not my favorite of the cigars I have. Yeah. Something that you've got enough cigars in your humidor that if you haven't smoked something in in a year and it's not something you've intentionally been holding on to, it's time to move on. Yeah, I've I've accumulate I accumulate cigars. I'm bad to at an event I don't mind, you know, paying a little more and getting a couple of freebies here and I don't and all the time somebody comes in and hey, I want you to smoke this and try this or comes in and hey, we want to talk to you about our line and they give me something I've already smoked. You know, there's always and uh, and to our poker guy's credit, a lot of times at the end of the night, the winner will reach in his pocket and hand me a cigar and say, thank you for dealing tonight. Thank you for putting yeah. this together. And I, I appreciate all their gifts, so I generally try to pass that on. So I put those to, So as I was putting those together, I found a Goldie, a La Polina Goldie that I'd had buried. That's, and the, which one is that? Uh, That's probably from Reserva. Probably. It's probably one of the last ones I got from Reserva. And the the one, it's a miracle it's in as good a shape as it's yeah. in because those wrappers are just Fabergé eggs. Yeah, they are. And so I said, okay, this cigar needs smoke. This cigar has obviously been in here a little while. This is not a, this is not a cigar that should lay, languish in my humidor. I'll take it and smoke it on the podcast. So tonight I'm smoking a Goldie, cigar Excellent. that needs smoke. And the story on the Goldie, they're made once a year by one roller in the world in the Titan DeBron factory. They're excellent. They're made in a different Vitola every year. I think this is one from Reserva because this is about four years ago Vitola. Yeah. Um, Very good cigars, very smooth, very light. A perfect afternoon cigar just to relax with. Yeah, it's it's not – it doesn't pack a lot of strength, but it is so smooth and so just beautifully made and blended. Uh, It's a a great cigar, and it's one of the few – in that Lonsdale, and I've had the Lancero when they did it in Lancero as well, that 
It's one of the few cigars I'd smoke in those Vitolas. The number one complaint I get trying to sell Goldies is people say, well, for the price, there's not enough flavor. And that's people that, I don't want to say somebody's palate isn't cultured. Yeah, there's tons of flavor in that cigar. It's yeah. just not strong. Right, it's just not it's strong It's a light flavor. cigar. Yeah, it's a light, it's a, it's a Cuban-esque flavor. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what Cuban cigars usually are, is much lighter, much easier going. Yeah. So what are you smoking? So walked in here today, and I, my first question to you was, what from the show has shown up? Sure enough, Crux is here. So of course I'm going to grab a bear and bull, which, or a bull and bear, rather. This will be interesting, because I am not on a full stomach. And this is one of the few cigars I still say requires that. So let's hope I get through this unfazed. And that the name of that cigar is hard because I end up calling it the bull and the bear, like it's a Dr. Seuss right. story. I, it's hard for me to just say the bull and bear. Right. I want to say the bull and the bear, like, like I'm reading Like it's a book. Aesop's Fables. Yeah. No, so this is a Nicaraguan Puro. It's Nicaraguan wrapper binder and filler at least according to this i picked a bad website to pull up my specs on it but here's here's a it's, it's made in the placentia factory it's a phenomenal smoke at 12 ish dollars it's 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 not a budget cigar at 12 dollars, but for a placentia made cigar it is a budget cigar here's something interesting so i pulled like i do every week I type in the name of the cigar, and I usually click on the first link that pops up, which is almost always Cigars International or Famous or one of those. Just so happens this week, it's Famous. And so the Crux Bull and Bear, this is the Gordo, uh, this is the one that popped up. Three and three-quarter stars by four customers. Well, okay. Now, this is a phenomenal cigar. I know not everybody's going to love it, but this is a phenomenal cigar. I'm curious why... And this is the only size in the line that has any reviews attached to it. So, of course, I've got to go look, right? You know, the first review is good stick, five stars. Pleasantly surprised, five stars. I'm bullish on this smoke, four stars. And, and then there's a one-star review. Scott, look here. Having enjoyed the cigar before, I was excited for the delivery of a new batch. Okay. So, he knows it's a good cigar. He's already had it. But the first cigar was awful by any cigar quality. Tight, dry, not even a perfect draw tool would help. The sixth, second was okay, third was awful. Famous not standing behind their cigars is where my concern is multiplied. Buyers beware. So he rated this cigar one star because he didn't like where he bought it. Come on. Yeah, that's a, that's a terrible way to do it. You know, my, my dad and I make fun of reviews like this all the time. And... I, do you like Yelp or do any sort of like for restaurants when you're in a new area? Do you use those? I don't usually use the reviews, but I do look at mostly Amazon products. Mostly if I'm looking to buy an Amazon product, I'll kind of look at the reviews and I always take, you know, the top five and the bottom five out of my, out of my appraisal. Cause you know, hurt people, hurt people. Twos and threes are really right. where you get the, the best feedback. Because a lot of your fours are people that should have given it a five based on their review, but they're those no one's achieve, able to achieve a five kind of people right. that we've all worked for. But like restaurants would be like, oh, well, we never got to eat there because we couldn't find parking. And they rate it one star. It's like, come on. Right. My waiter was rude, so it's one star. Yeah. And it, so uh, I just thought that was right. Because this is 
a phenomenal cigar, and everybody but Scott seems to think so. Speaking of which, I was at Texas Roadhouse the other night. I'm sorry. I went there solely for their prime rib. The prime rib's not bad. The mm-hmm. prime rib is actually pretty good, and I'm a big prime rib fan. Their country fried steak is actually very, very good, too. I went there to get the prime rib, and the lady comes out, and I said, I'll have the prime rib. She said, well, we don't have it. And I said, okay, is it not ready yet? Because for some reason... Because you eat, you eat dinner like an octogenarian. It would have yeah. been 5 o'clock when you were in there. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was early. And I'm, I'm used to people saying, okay, yeah, our prime rib ain't ready yet. Okay, I'll accept that. No, the machine that slices our prime rib is broken, so we don't have prime rib. Is the machine that slices prime rib not, not a, called Julio? A knife? <laughs> if, let's say you have a special machine that does slice your prime rib. I have no idea why. And it breaks. Do you not just grab a knife? Right. What, I mean, I picture in my head a scenario where he whips out this fully cooked prime rib that's been cooking for eight hours at slow temperatures. And they just go, oh, well. <laughs> that machine's broke. Throw it out to the dogs, fellas. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, th- this speaks to, and I don't want to go too down this, but we, this particular Texas Roadhouse had some issues a few months ago where the entire kitchen staff walked out. And, you know, a couple of people quitting, that's on them. Your entire kitchen walks out, that's on management. Yeah, that's a management issue for and sure. So I'm thinking about this. Th- that really speaks to me about the Texas Roadhouse corporate management. They're so focused on making sure that every single piece is exactly 8 ounces or 12 ounces or what it is, that they don't even trust their cooks to be able to cut a steak and... They'd rather throw the whole thing away than give an extra ounce to somebody who didn't pay for it. As a company that advertises hand-cut steaks, mm-hmm. for somebody to waddle out and tell me that they that their machines broke so they can't cut me a slab of prime rib. Yeah, I mean, there's just there seems to be. I think something was up. I don't. I yeah. think that that was the company line. I think they decided. What a bad not to one, lie. though. Yeah. What What a bad lie. Yeah. At least tell me a good lie. But anyway, all right. Totally unrelated to good lies. PCA top 23, or top three things from Charlie Milano. Milano. I always mispronounce his name. I'm sorry, Charlie. You give us a lot of good content. Charlie Milano, his top three things. I was at the PCA show, and this was, it was a good article for me to read because these are things I would not have picked out at the PCA. Okay. And were, I'll, were any of these things that you saw while you were there or missed yeah, completely? Saw, saw them all. Saw them all, but I was concerned with the steak, not the sizzle. Yeah. Um, old wrestling term that Vince McMahon coined in the 90s during the Attitude Era. We're selling the sizzle, not the steak. And this is Charlie looking at the sizzle, which is great. The sizzle's part of it. Right. And... I, so I wanted to bring this up just to give a different perspective of the show from what I had. Um, he talked about one sonic humidifiers and cabinet humidifier and all. That's something I would have never picked out because, mm-hmm. okay, how many people in our audience need a cabinet humidifier? Well, remember this is about people in the industry. These are retailers, right? And this is... There are so many shops out there that have overgrown their walk-in and rely on cabinets to make up additional inventory. Or, you know, there have been some shops, there's one right down the road, that uses cabinets for their entire humidor. 
So I can see how this could be valuable. I, I can add that. And he's, he speaks fondly of him, talks about the iPad, iPhone app connecting to it, everything like that. He says the unit can either be plumbed or use an 8.8-liter tank, which can be refilled from the top. 0.8 liters sounds small, but I guess in a cabinet that's okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. It says there's also a UV light to help kill bacteria. I like that feature. It is. That's a, that's a nice feature in there. And um, he also said you may want to use a tiny amount of vinegar, bleach, or alcohol to assist using the keeping keep it clean. clean. That's a- you know, we've never talked about that. I do think it's probably about time that I take my my cabinet humidifier out and hit it with a little food grade vinegar and clean it up. Probably next time it's empty, I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's probably about time. Probably because it is in a, a a great environment to grow mold. It's yeah, you're really creating a mold environment. Right, you're kind of creating a phenomenal environment just for that. And also, I do want to hit a product that Bovita has now that is the greatest product ever. All right. Um, he gave me one. So if you've got a home humidor and you've got a humidistat in that home humidor, have you ever read the process for how you're supposed to calibrate one of those? Uh, I have. I know it's very laborious. and It's like a bowl of rice in two or three weeks and bringing yeah. it down. And what you're basically trying to do is reduce the humidity where that little humidistat is to zero and get it so that as it cl- it's the same way I have a, a battery meter on my golf cart and when you first install it you have to install it on dead batteries because it gets its charge percentage based on what it reads from zero coming up and that becomes its memory it's the same thing with the humidistat so Bovida has now got a small package that you bring your little humidifier in or your little humidistat in you drop it in this pack you seal it up in 24 hours, it's 75% or 73% or whatever percent it is. Guaranteed. So you pull it out, you set the thing to 73%, stick it in the humidor, it's ready to go. That's pretty cool. That's a brilliant. We ordered a couple of them here because I told Mark, I said, yeah, that's something that if we explain it to people, they'll really appreciate it. Now, it'll take some explanation, but anybody that's ever tried to to set one of those humidistats knows what a pain in the neck. I guarantee you, 86% of humidistats in a humid- humidor at home are not set properly. Now, are you talking about, uh, you're saying humidistat, but I'm assuming you're talking about a hygrometer. Hygrometer, pardon okay. me. Yeah. Yeah, hygrometer. It's going to tell the humidity in the humidor. Right. Um, but they have a little pack now for that. Ask your Bovita guy for it. It's a great, great I'm item. assuming, it, what's going to be really funny is if you take a Bovita factory tour, and when they're making this, they're going through that laborious process there. And so then it's pre-cal- it's almost pre-calibrated when you right. get it. They're just saving you the step. Well, no, this is, you can drop any um, hygrometer oh. that will fit in the bag in the bag. That's interesting. So you just take the, your little it's round. It's the bag, not the hygrometer. Right. You just take your little, your little hygrometer out of your humidor and drop it in this bag and seal it up for 24 hours. Pop it out turn it to 73 or 75, whichever one you chose, and it's set. Oh, that's pretty cool then. Brilliant idea. Brilliant idea from those folks. It's nice. They could sit on their laurels because they've already got the greatest product ever, but it's nice to see them still going yeah. for it. Still working it. Eli Blue Arturo Fuente Hemingway House Humidor. Um, yeah, it's cool. I, uh, I think it's gorgeous. I There's something... 
having been to the Hemingway house, it, I, I really love what they've done. They missed out, though, by not drawing cats all over it. Was there cats everywhere? Cats everywhere. And it was, it, it, there's a long story, which I don't remember, so I'm not going to try and butcher it here. But essentially, it has become a, he was just taking in cats. And there's six-toed cats is what they're known for. And, and so that it's, kind of a, a, it's kind of a staple of the Hemingway house, the cats being everywhere. So I think there should have been at least one cat painted on this thing. Yeah, and you see in the picture on Half Wheel, you see the little hygrometer there? Mm-hmm. That's what you would just pull out and drop gotcha. in the sack. But they also talked about that. I'd say, I seen it, I thought, oh, yeah, that's pretty, and I moved on because I was, I was looking for cigars to put in our humidor. Wildfire booth. So they brought in like a 1960s travel trailer and had all their stuff in it, and they had fake side down. And when you walk by the booth, you're like, okay, that's kind of... I walked by it a couple of times. I was like, okay, that's interesting, but I, I think I would want to... I would want to showcase a little more, but I guess it works for them. Works for what they're trying to do there. Um, they last year they did made it look like a campfire with faux shrubbery and a bear costume, and this year the company needed more space, so it brought a travel trailer from 1985 and a small picnic table, and they got the old lawn chairs on there. You know those lawn chairs yep. that inevit- that my grandmother had. Yeah, inevitably broke as soon as you sat in them. Yep. The you know the aluminum aluminum who whose idea were those? How did those ever make it out to the market? I don't. Well, they were the best at the time. Them and remember the old plastic ones that clicked. They no, were a, they were a trifold. The lounger it was a trifold. I, I'm gonna have to look up a picture. And of it that. clicked into place. Yeah, it's probably before your time. But I did like I do like this, and, I, and I'm glad Charlie brought it up because it it was interesting and it is worth mentioning. Well, and I like the last line uh, on this is he says, "I know it's not for everyone, but rarely does a trade show booth make me smile." And that that's what it's all about, and that's why I think it's so great that this got an extra highlight because sometimes things don't need to be, and I think we're going to talk about it next. Not everything has to be for a purpose. Some things can be just because they're fun. I, I get that. Speaking of, El Septimoda introduced Choose Your Color packaging for its cigar boxes. This is from Yahoo Finance. El Septimo will package the same cigar in three different color options, and the customer can select which color they like. Now, just the box, not the label. Right. Just, I, do, I do wish the label was part of it. See, I would want the label to match the box. Um, this seems to me like El Septimo just throwing stuff at the wall to it, see what sticks. It may be, but to me, it's fun. And I, I, it, it's a marketing gimmick. It's stupid. I, but, it, but I also like it. Um, the, the colors are purple, white, and green. So it's, it's at Mardi Gras colors, right? I think so. So if they were good, I would like to see some tie-in with the color scheme that they chose. I think that would be... Because as long as we're spending time in the Wayback Machine this week, do you remember when Star Wars came out and I think it was Taco Bell had the limited edition cups and so you'd try to collect all five? You know, This has that kind of... This kind of tickles that nostalgic bone for me a little bit. See, this inflicts me with my my stress from 1990s comic books. Um, in the 90s, a Jewish conglomerate bought Marvel Comics mm. and just about crashed the comic book industry because they started doing variant covers. 
and to get a certain comic, you know, X-Men number one famously, was released of like five different covers. And if you put all five covers together, it created this mosaic. But I hated that. I hated that you had that they were trying to get me to buy the same comic book five times. No, and and for that I understand. You know, if it's if it's to complete a set, but I don't think this you know, it's not like each one doesn't stand on its own. And I think that's why it doesn't go there for me. Does this create confusion in the humidor though? Cuz if you go into my humidor and I've got the purple boxes, and you lock that cigar and you go down the road and go into his humidor and he's got the green boxes. Do you miss a sale? Do you think the El Septimo client base doesn't know about it, though? Because the people I know who smoke El Septimo are not the people who are buying cigars just based on what looks good to them in the humidor at that moment. Well, I've long said El Septimo's target market is Davidoff customers. Yeah. They're, they're firmly taking a shot at Davidoff's market shares, what El Septimo's doing. So I kind of think that's what that may be what's going on here is they're trying to, they see in that market share an opportunity and they decided they'd try this. I don't see a lot of cigar companies. I don't see this catching on. I don't see this being a long-term successful thing. It may surprise me, but we'll have to track it and see. It also makes me wonder if maybe two years from now they go, okay, this blend is now exclusively in the purple box because that's what sold the most. Could be. Rain and smoke make for a challenging year in Connecticut. This is from Aficionado. I've had four or five people actually bring this up and ask, hey, is there something going on with Connecticut rappers? Are Connecticut ra- I've heard that Connecticut rappers are going to be, you know, having problems, and not Connecticut being the type of rafter, Connecticut being rappers grown in Connecticut. Right. Um, so I found this article. I said, oh, yeah, we need to hit this article and talk about this. So... The Connecticut River Valley, the home of the Connecticut Broadleaf Shade and Havana Wrappers, persistent rain plus overcast skies from Canadian wildfires have made this one difficult for tobacco farmers. So this poses a specific issue for for one reason and two different causes. Tobacco grown in more shady conditions tends to be less flavorful. That's why shade grown like you know, like the underground shade and others, they tend to be a little bit milder. Uh, you can still get complexity of flavor, but strength is not there. And, you know, and especially being up in Connecticut, closer than we are here, I don't know about you, but the beginning of this week, I couldn't breathe because of the air quality we were getting. It was noticeable. It was, it was very noticeable. Even the dog was sneezing. And so... You've got increased shade and poor air quality that that's going to affect the flavor of the crop. And then they've got an, enha- an entire uh, um, excessively wet growing season this year has the same effect on tobacco, which is that if you've got more water than is prescribed, it dilutes the flavor of the cigar. So presumably the, the tobacco we're going to get out of this region uh, from this growing season are going to really struggle in the flavor department. Yeah, tobacco Tobacco likes a lot of water when it's young and very little water as it ages. And that's just the growing cycle of tobacco mm-hmm. as you plant it in the rainy season. And then that's why tropical areas work so well for this. Mm-hmm. When the rainy season is over, you're able to grow the tobacco and get it to the strength you want. Um 
without the the hindrance of so much water and everything like that being put on it. But Connecticut not being tropical. But it would look like this wouldn't be the first year this would have been a problem. It looks like this would have been something that that would have been possible at any point in history. Well, would it have been possible? Yes. But did it happen? No. Uh, we're seeing record rainfall in that area of the country. Even around here, you know, it rained all week. And typically, last July, I only mowed once because it was so dry. So we are seeing increased rainfall, and you and I will disagree about the cause for that, so I will sidestep that one entirely. Um, Well, something else we don't agree on. I have had a lot of people say, yeah, my neighbor that owns an electric lawnmower came over and asked if he could borrow my gas-powered one because his grass is too thick for that to mow. So it's funny because I do own an electric mower, and I hadn't mowed in a month. I had a jungle in my backyard. My mower handled it fine. I had to throw it instead of bagging it, but it handled it fine. I could fill a tractor trailer with electric lawnmowers from yard sales from the number of people that have bought them and have hated them so bad they put them in the yard sale. I love mine. And every one of them's got a Craftsman or a Husky gas powered in their garage now. Yeah, I, it, it really depends on your yard. You know, I'm on less than a third of an acre. So, and my front yard is Bermuda. So it never gets thick anyway. Right. And the backyard is all weeds. So as long as I mow it frequently, I don't, it, it handles everything I need it to. But if you had tall fescue, you would probably struggle. Yeah. If you had 31 fescue, probably be a little bit more issue yeah. to that. So, but I did want to hit this article because I thought that was kind of interesting that that is, a, that the Connecticut Valley area has that going on. Um. So let's talk about one more weather-related one before we go to the break. Sanford Cigar Store. This is from Spectrum News 9. They're on your side. Sanford Cigar Store hopes to get economic aid from um, Hurricane Nicole. So the, um, the first line of the article is, The clock is ticking for those needing help recovering from Hurricane Nicole, with Monday making the de- deadline to apply for assistance for physical damage. So the, the crux of this article is, yes, this cigar shop got damaged during the storm. There was loss. There was everything like that. My bigger point of this article is, is the fact that it's a tobacco store going to hinder them being able to get aid? I don't think so. Because this is, we're talking about Tampa. This is, and, and we're talking about, so on the one hand, Tampa is a very cigar-friendly city in a very cigar-friendly state of Florida. I don't think this is necessarily going to pose an issue to them. What I do think is that what they're claiming is not damage to the store, but damage to their profits. And how do you... Yes, you can quantify it by looking at receipts and books and stuff like that, but I don't know enough about this particular program to know what it's really intended to... Uh, provide funding for because these programs are almost famously not funded uh, sufficiently to the need. So they run out of money before everybody gets a share. And I have to imagine somebody who's just claiming that the storm took out 80 parking spots and so his customers couldn't get to the door, it's probably going to be low on the list. Yeah, I think if you read deeper into the article, that's one of the things to look at is... You know, okay, if your restaurant got leveled 
obviously you need help. Right. If your freezer went out and you lost all your food, if, you know, you're a florist and it destroyed all your bouquets or you're a nursery and it wiped out all your trees. Or even if it blew in the front doors and saturated all of his cigars and he had to replace his entire inventory. Right. Even in the same industry. Right. That would probably matter more. But he's talking about a 40% reduction in, in revenue for a period of two months. That seems a little bit... A little much. I, I think he should get compensated if, if there are funds for it, because that's exactly what it's intended to do. Because you and I both know people who own small businesses run month to month oftentimes. It doesn't matter how successful you are. The people who own these businesses rely on the revenues and profits in a steady stream. And <laughs> I was wondering if perhaps this get you know, because... The vision of the average cigar smoker from the average person that's never been in a lounge is of the old rich guy. Well, if if they were crowdsourcing the funding, probably. But you've got to remember this is a government program. So these are people who've taken bribes in smoky cigar rooms who are deciding who gets the money. So I don't think it'll happen. Don't think it'll impact I don't think it one it'll way or another. It. I was just curious. I was thinking about that. When I seen this article, I thought, yeah, I could see that as being part of it. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we've got an article that agrees with us about the FDA's proposals and a pre-cut cigar. All right, we'll be back with that more after this. Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from a man who's not a part of the official Mission Cigar World Series of Poker Team, Trey Dedman. <laughs> you know, that doesn't bother me too much. You don't feel left out? You know, I, I enjoy poker to a certain extent, but to me, it's about sitting around the table playing. Like, I don't, I'm not just going to sit on an iPad and just sit there and play endless hands of cards. It just doesn't do anything for me. Oh, sitting on the back porch, smoking a cigar, listening to a Bigfoot podcast, rolling a few hands of poker. It's hard to get better than that. Well, see, I understand that. But I also know that you sit on your back porch and do all that, sitting next to your wife, who's also smoking a cigar and playing hands of poker with you. I would be having to try and concentrate on the poker hand while also listening to what home improvement projects are coming my way in the next six months. Oh, yeah. So it just doesn't, not that I have any problem with that, but it's just a different atmosphere. Well, World Series of Poker this week came out with the teams concept, which I think is an interesting concept that you put together a team of players of people you know play World Series of Poker, and there's rewards for the team that does the best, and all of that sort of thing. So Derek here at the shop put together the Mission Cigar Poker Team. And I was getting peer pressure last night because I hadn't played this week and I had zero points. So you needed to hold up your end of the game. Yeah, so this morning I rolled big and now I'm like third producer on the team. (laughs) So I was just, I I rolled it out big this morning for for the World Series of Poker Team. Well, I appreciate that you're sitting over here doing the show with me rather than helping both of them rack up points over there, which they're currently doing. Well, I'm, I'm further enough ahead of Derek that it's not an issue, and I'll never catch Glenda, so it don't right. matter. <laughs> and I'll literally, she's playing on the way back from Gatlinburg yesterday while we're driving. That's funny. And, and I was listening to Bigfoot podcast and driving, so it didn't really matter. Is that a bit like 
listening to the band you're going to to see on the way to the concert, listening to the Bigfoot podcast on the way home from the Bigfoot convention? Um, kind of, but remarkably little actual theoretical talk about Bigfoot. I went to the show this year, the conference this year, and I didn't go to a lot of the se- seminars and keynote speakers and all gotcha. that stuff. Um, next year, I'll probably make a little more time, maybe get down there the night before and make a little more time to actually go. You know, they had an encounters segment of it. But I'm telling you, going to the show, I was so scared of finding out that all the people that do this are nuts and then having to question whether or not I'm nuts. Well, you are nuts, but probably for different (laughs) reasons. Probably, but it turned out. And the the other pleasant surprise from the Bigfoot conference was... um, I'm, I'm of a larger stature. So I said, man, they're just going to have a bunch of medium and large T-shirts there. That's so funny that you would think that. No problem finding I them. That <laughs> surprises me not even a little. <laughs> These are my people. Matter of fact, we would have had a harder time finding shirts for you than we did for me. Well, that's, that's the story of my life. In fact, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, Big Boys had their fifth anniversary party. And so they had fifth anniversary shirts and... And one of the guys comes up to me. He's like, hey, if you want a shirt, we've, there's only one medium left. And I was like, yeah, no thanks. He was like, what size shirt do you wear? I was like, I wear small. And he was like, oh, yeah, we didn't even order any of those. <laughs> no need to order those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, it, it is funny kind of. But I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised how many of the, store, of the shops. They, I was like, yeah, these are my people. If I had a nickel for every extra large cigar branded shirt I've gotten at raffles and events and stuff like that I could they would just swallow you whole oh yeah yeah very interesting so from the Washington Examiner FDA's proposed flavor cigar ban is all virtue signaling now this is interesting to hear that headline coming from the Washington Examiner no it's not is it not is the Examiner a conservative yeah oh okay you're thinking of the Washington Post Oh, okay. I'm thinking of the wrong one. Yeah. That all a different... Oh, they're playing American Ninja Warrior on the TV now. That's ironic, since how we were just talking about it five minutes. That's But funny. see, this dude just proposed to his girlfriend before she runs the course. Talk about sabotaging her run. Right. <laughs> wait till the end. Yeah. Wait till she's done. You know, when she's dragging herself out of the pool, still right. soaking wet, then propose to her. Exactly. Tell you, tell, wait, you know, if she makes it to the top, great. But don't propose to her till after she's eliminated. Anyway, um, so my grandfather once told me to know a good cigar and what to do with it is a sign of maturity. That's the opening line of this um, of this particular article, which I, I that sounds kind of hokey. It, yeah, it does. You know, me and my grandfather, we never discussed cigars. Even if he had smoked cigars, I right. doubt we would have discussed cigars. Much less what to do with it. I, that part's pretty easy. There's, all, I mean, There's only one thing yeah, it's good for. Cut it, you light it, you smoke it. Yeah. And uh, so regardless of the advice that Grandpa Clinton gave him, <laughs> I did go ahead and read the article. Um, very interesting. So basically what the article says is kind of what we've already said. All the stats are there that kids are not smoking premium cigars, whether they're flavored or not. But the FDA is standing on this. We're, we're curbing teen and low-income smoking by getting rid of flavored cigars. So, obviously, you and I do agree on this. 
However, if you look at it, it's the reason that the premium cigar exemption is such a hot topic and why we're both in favor of it, because we do recognize that there is a difference in demographic between those who smoke the cigars that we smoke and people who, who smoke flavored cigars. Um, especially when you f- think of like, even when they're talking about flavored cigars, the FDA is not talking about Tatiana's. They're talking about black and mild grape, and they're talking about drugstore cigars and right machine made machine made cigars. And so it's, I bet, and I've not seen anybody do the the stats on this, but I bet if you look specifically within cigar smokers, if you look at the the people who tend to smoke flavors and and even flavored machine made. You will see a, a, a low, a younger skewed demographic. Probably, you probably would see a younger skewed demographic, and you'd probably see that there's probably a difference. And thinking, you know, part of my thinking for that comes from, you know, I don't think there's a single manufacturer that sends more cigars overseas to our troops than Drew Estate. And I have talked to countless people who have come home from deployment who got hooked on cigars, and, and I don't mean hooked, but you know what I mean. Right. Um, because they were smoking acids over there. Technically falls into the flavor category. Right. And who are our, who are our soldiers over there? They're, they're 19, 20, 22-year-old folks. So it, it, this is, I think it's more of an exercise where correlation is not causation. What age... Do you think your palate matures? I'm hoping I find out someday. I'm just wondering at, at what age is the average palate? Um, you know, you start out in the the sweet mode. You start out in the the sweet phase of all this, and then you kind of move forward at all, and you eventually stop putting sugar in your coffee. And you stop drinking daiquiris and start drinking whiskeys, and you start things like that where you're moving out of that yummy phase, as Corolla would put it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think your palate ever stops maturing. You know, I don't think. I, I think there are certain milestones. Uh, for me, black coffee is one of those milestones. Although, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that people who drink black coffee are superior to those who still put cream and sugar in their coffees, but if, like what you like. But um, kale and spinach, other bitter flavors, I think those are sort of landmarks of maturation. Uh, beer is another one. You know, those... So, you know, but I didn't start liking, going back to the sweet side of things, I didn't start liking tomatoes until I was 30. You know, so it's always ever changing, and I think that's true of cigar. And and honestly, I really wasn't much of a sweets guy until I was about thirty-one. Yeah, and then I started jumping back on the cookie train. So I think it ebbs and flows. Okay, it, that it's a fluid. It's not. Yeah. It's a fluid thing. Your palate, and I do think there are people who legitimately don't taste things on the level that other people do. Oh, yeah. Just like there are people that are colorblind, there are people that are taste blind. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think there's far more people that are lazy and say, oh, I, I don't have a palate that just never bothered to develop one. Yeah, I think that's... I, I think it's... And you and I have talked about that before, too, where I think some of it is is probably 
haven't had the opportunity. But there's also no, you know, you know, I've got an 18-month-old at the house. You know, we're holding up toys, saying, this is blue, this is yellow, this is... But at the same time, we don't hand our kid, this is bitter, this is sour, this is tart. No one does that. So even if you don't, I don't think it's always laziness to not have a palate so much as it's some just like anything else, but no one's teaching you. Like, you just kind of have to discover for yourself what tart means. And I do think that's part of, you know, we've been talking a lot lately about reps and how reps can really improve their the marketing and selling of their product. I do think that's part of it is a rep needs to be able to come into a store and say, oh, yeah, this cigar is engineered to taste like this. Right. This is what the blender had. Because how many times have, you know, we had a guy ask us in here, um, actually one of the owners asked us, what is earthy? Describe earthy to me. And neither one of us could. Right. It's like, you know, you know it when you taste it. Yeah. But well, what then, is earthy? And we started talking about it between the two of us, and we had different definitions for what I would call earthy and what you would call earthy. So... The interesting part of his article, um, and his article focused less on teen smoking and more on minority and low-income smoking, Mm. ultimately blanding flavored cigars to reduce minority health disparities is the lowest priority on a larger list of more importance. It's feel-good gesture, allowing those charged with improving public health to say they did something. I like that line. I, I do too, because I think I think that's hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, I think that's something he's really summing up well in this article from the Examiner. Um, the author is Joseph K. Williams, and I like it. I like this article. I think he did an excellent job with this. So yeah. more power to him. All right, pre-cut Zeno Nicaragua half Corona set for August third release. So I was flipping through and I seen this. I said pre-cut cigar. So let's talk about this. Does it damage a cigar to cut it a couple of days before you smoke it, a week before you smoke it? What does it do to a cigar when you cut it if you don't smoke it immediately? You know, I wish I had had a chance to do a bit more research on this uh, when I saw the article in the show notes because I'd like to be able to come at this from a position of authority and knowledge, but really all I have are is kind of anecdotal evidence in my experience. And what I think the issue with cutting early is that it it makes it more susceptible to changes and variance in humidity, i.e. it's going to dry out faster. Right. That's the only real concern. And then, you know, maybe if it's like your Goldie and it has a paper-thin wrapper, then it makes it even more susceptible to damage and breakage. But those are the only two things I see as being the real issues with pre-cutting a cigar. Yeah, um... Potential for damage is greater if you do a big cut where you cut off the entire cap. Mm. Um, This one, what's interesting is they're actually punching this cigar, which I think is a smart move. I do too, because you maintain the structural integrity of the cap, but also for someone who prefers a cut, they still have that opportunity available to them. What's interesting about this and why I think this works, they're sold in tens of five. So this is for the person who maybe they're out of town, maybe they're head of the golf course, maybe they're whatever, and don't have a cutter with them. You know, it's a quality, it's a Zeno product, so it's a quality product, and all you need to find is fire. 
you know, the price is going to be $30 for a tin of five, $6 per stick, which is pretty reasonable. Absolutely. For a Zeno, they're um, going to be the, these are half Coronas. They're going to be four by 44s. So it's a good small cigar. Our target consumers value spontaneity in their on-the-go lifestyle, which is exactly what I would expect this to be targeted at. And that's what this whole segment of the cigar industry is about. You know, right. I keep a I keep a tin of Padrones in my truck. Yeah. And I keep them in there. And if I'm riding and I know, okay, I ain't got time for a cigar today, but I've got 20 minutes between here and my next next appointment. Then you're all set. Then I'm going to be in the truck. I can fire one up and I can have a, that little hit going through. So yeah, I think this is this is a smart idea. The price is not is far less than what you would think for a Zeno. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would be interested to know how the flavor of this compares to the Robusto. If there's going to be a difference between those or not. So we'll I, I'm sure there will. My only complaint with cigars in this format is that I really just don't get nearly as much flavor out of them. It, it's no. hard because you know I need that first two inches to kind of get into the meat of the cigar and know what I'm dealing with. And then by that point, you're done with this. And it's just enough to make me want a cigar. Right. But for me, a cigar is an event. Right. You know, my favorite time of day is in the morning. I've walked the dog. I've come back. I've cooked my wife and I breakfast. I'm getting ready to go to work. And I sit down on the back porch and I just sit there and smoke a cigar and organize my day. Yeah. Okay, this plan needs to be done. This is the meeting I have. These are the people. And if somebody wants to meet early and takes that away from me, it really bothers me. That's why I always try to make meetings, from, you know, either at 10 o'clock or 2 o'clock. I don't want them at 9 in the morning or 8 in the morning because that means I'm not getting my, my time, right. my hour or an hour and a half of an Africa to just sit on the back porch. And I feel like my whole day is disorganized if I don't. That's your cow milking time. Yeah, that's when I'm milking the cows. I'm getting everything ready. So... Speaking of concepts, from Art of Manliness, seven Japanese concepts that can improve your life. So you thought that was a bad segue until you seen <laughs> that the concepts was in the article, didn't you? No, I was pretty. I was with you on that one. Oh, okay. So one of the interesting things about this article is they talk about these Japanese concepts, and you always hear this, but you rarely hear it in a practical manner. It's always something of you know, dedicating your life to work and honor and shame and all those other concepts. So it's much better to do that. You either need to yawn or not, but this <laughs> this holding your mouth shut and watching your lip quiver is really disturbing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Seven Japanese, I, I know what it is. Every time, so for those listening at home, Trey got up excessively early this morning with his child and he's been yawning the whole podcast and every time he yawns, I yawn. Well, I'll, I'll turn my face away next time. And so now he's trying to hide it. And so I'm just sitting here watching this pained look on his face and his lip quivering like it's in the wind. <laughs> and it's far more distracting than if you just yawned wide enough to stick the microphone in your mouth. All right. Fair enough. So, the, but these are more down-to-earth concepts, names, names aside. Kaizen, seeking continuous improvement. Okay, that's pretty self-explanatory. I, I think that's probably the the concept of Japanese culture that most people associate with. And I think you're either a guy that has Kaizen or you're not. Uh, I, I don't. I think everyone recognizes areas where they need to improve. 
have you ever tried? Now I'm not talking about someone who's doing poorly and you're trying to do, get them to do better. Have you ever tried to take somebody who's doing well and get them to do better? I think everybody. I, I think one of the marks of success is recognizing that success is not binary; it's continuous. You know, whether you own your own business, whether you're in sales, or whether you wake up today at zero, and your goal for the day is to not finish at zero. Well, and that's you know one of the concepts that one of my preachers one time really advanced to me that I've always held on to is it's. It's not called standing with Jesus. It's called walking with Jesus. And if you stop, he will keeps walking without you. So you must continue walking whether in whatever it is. And I've always thought that's a great concept, regardless of your religious right. views. I think that's a great concept that you've got to re- realize when you stop moving, it's somebody else is moving forward ahead of you. Well, yeah, like I work in technology. And if you're not keeping up to date with what's happening in technology on a daily basis, you will get left behind. You know, so I think, but I, I think the mark of successful people are, is, the, is that knowledge and that understanding that continuous improvement is necessary. And I think, I think everybody at some level has that idea that there's something that needs to be worked on. I think what, what limits people is knowing what to work on or how. And that's why I like this. Try getting just 1% better every day. It's it, one of my favorite expressions. I use it in my house all the time. How do we eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah, it's, it's principles from everything. One day at a time. Right, exactly. Ikigai. Finding your purpose. I would have bet $100 that you wouldn't have pronounced that. You thought I was going to say Ikagi, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Nope. Ikagai. Finding your purpose. Um, The concept translates to a reason for being. So how is this different from finding out what you're good at? Because there's a difference between what you're good at. You know, I was good at sales. I I had a, a long career, very successful career in sales but I hated it. It was not my purpose. So just, you can be, you know, this is a, a, a bit of a, what's a, there, there, it's a polarizing issue. Uh, th- there are a lot of people that believe you can't be good at something that you don't like. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. But finding your purpose is something different. You know, I was talking, my daughter is, is, is about to be a sophomore in high school and found recently an absolute drive and love for flower arrangement. You know, and it sounds kind of silly on the face of it as being just kind of, but there's a ton of money to be made in the industry if that's where she decides to go with it. But also it's something much like home building where at the end of the day, you step back and you say, I did that. And other people get to recognize the effort and the skill that goes into that. And I think finding your purpose goes so far beyond just what you have an aptitude for, what you can get paid at doing, and it has a lot more to do with what you find the drive to get up every morning and accomplish. Well, um, yes, and it's, you know, we've talked about this. It's funny, we've actually talked about this a lot in the cigar store lately, uh, the exact concept you're talking about, because we have several musicians in here. And Jake, there's no way I can pronounce his last name, Sambakaruzi or something like that. 
He's a ukulele virtuoso. Yeah. And he's coming to do a show at the city winery. And I thought, of all the things that you could be born a virtuoso of, the ukulele has to be one of the worst. Well, have you ever looked up any of his stuff? Oh, I've listened to a lot of his stuff. He's phenomenal. He does a version of Billie Jean that you would swear there were six instruments, and it's just him on a ukulele. But nobody's ever whipped out a ukulele and got laid because of it. (laughs) I wouldn't say nobody, Uh, but... Statistically, it'd be better if he was a, ma- a, a saxophone or, or yeah. yeah. It'd be. I guarantee you, he's not putting up slashes numbers. Well, for, for <laughs> sure. But I. But we don't know that he's aspiring to slashes numbers in that department. He, he very well could. But you know, you're, you're never going to hear him spoken in the revered terms of Stevie Ray Vaughan or some of the right. great guitar players in the world. But apparently, he's very good at it. Apparently, he enjoys it because he keeps doing it all the time, and he's making a great living at it. You know, I think he's sold out at the City Winery mm-hmm. here in Nashville. So, you know, and I wish did, I'd have known about it. I would have gone to see that. He just did a whole album with a lot of famous people. He did with Jimmy Buffett, with Steve, War- um, Steve Winwood, and several people You know, wanted to collaborate with him on this whole album of stuff he yeah. did. So I can understand that, but there is a difference between... Finding your purpose and finding out what you're good at. Right. And I think that's one of the things you kind of have to think about. You want to take a, tra- a crack at the pronouncing this one? <laughs> I really don't. Wibitori. <laughs> Sounds Italian. <laughs> Wibitori, avoiding comparison to others. Always, always a good idea. Comparison's the thief of joy, I think is something you say all the time. Absolutely. I think there's nothing makes you more miserable than comparing yourself to other people. But it's hard. I'll be the first to recognize that this is not something that's easy for most people. Because, first of all, being confident in yourself is a certain requirement to not being predisposed to comparing yourself to others. And for most people, that's that's not possible. And I think, especially, and I've talked to a lot of people sort of my age and younger, where... You know, the, the, the economy and the landscape uh, ha- in this country has changed remarkably over the last, we'll say, 25 years. So while a lot of 30-year-olds and some 40-year-olds haven't even bought their first house yet, who's the easiest person to compare yourself to? Your parents. Your parents. And you look back and you say, man, we were taking three vacations a week and we had a massive house and only... And my father only, you know, was a postal worker and we still had all these luxuries. Meanwhile, I make, you know, $250,000 and I can barely afford rent. I'm pulling all of that out of nowhere. But, you know, so I think that's where it becomes really difficult is on those, those relationships and compare yourself to your parents and people, you feel like you're comparing yourself to yourself. Yeah. It hits home because you experienced it firsthand. Exactly. Um, you know, this this will all be covered in my autobiography, The Benefits of Narcissism. <laughs> in that, the, I know it'll come as no surprise to anybody. Listen, this is not a problem for me. Right. But I see how this, especially with social media, where so often you find yourself comparing their highlight reel to your blooper reel. That's a great way to put it. I think that's where a lot of that comes in, is that people because of social media has made this problem worse than it's ever been. 
Yeah. And it, there was a trend going around Instagram and social media in general uh, a couple of years ago of Instagram versus reality. And it was, you know, basically people putting the polished photo next to the blooper. And it was, I really liked it because it's kind of meta in a certain way of acknowledging the fact that what you're seeing here is a polished, well, it's a polished turd, but it's, it's a, it's a polished product. This has right. been tailored and curated. And you look at your photo reel of you sitting on the toilet and going, well, I'm not that pretty, or I'm not going these elaborate places. And that, and it, yeah, it, it, it can wear you down. It can. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of fun in not belonging. This will also be in my book about narcissism. You know, going to the Bigfoot Festival. People, you know, they half the people were, oh, that's really cool. That would be enjoyable. That's something out of the box. That would be... And half the people were like, why would you waste time doing that? Right. You know, so it's it's just kind of... And it, I enjoyed both people in, you know, also said, why not? Like, hey, take out... You know, we were I having a conversation with someone here last night. And they said, he said, you know, the Bigfoot thing just don't interest me. I said, yeah. But take out all the useless data you have in your head about the sideline reporter for the New England Patriots, the college they went to. Take that out. Take out the fifth string kicker's name. Take out the NBA as a whole, because the NBA right. as a whole is not in my head. I know I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know half the NBA guys. If they, I wouldn't know ninety nine percent of NBA guys. If okay. If Shaq walked in here, I could pick him out. Anybody else is open right. game. <laughs> You'd recognize LeBron. Who? LeBron. Didn't he die in a plane crash? No, that was Kobe. Oh, okay. See, I have, I have no idea about these things. But, you know, if you took out all of that stuff in your head, you would have ample room for Bigfoot. Right. But he, he could wander around in your head all day. Well, it's just like, you know, to bring it back to cigars a little bit, the reason that that humidor is full of a bunch of different facings is because everybody has slightly different palate, just like everybody has slightly different interests. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. Um, Wabi Sabi embracing imperfection. Um, I'm not sure how much of this I agree with. Well, let me let me try and boil it down to a way I think you can agree to. Most people look at the road from failure to success as starting in the basement and just putting effort in until you get to the top floor. But you and I both know that that's not true. You, you're gonna. It's it's. You go up a floor. You go down two floors. You go up a floor. You go up two floors. You go down a floor. It's it's variable. Those half steps backwards are the imperfection we're talking about here. You know, how many times have you made a recipe and you go, that didn't quite come out the way I wanted, but now you know how to do it better the next time. Right. I've brought stuff in here for for tailgating. Said, yeah, this was not my best work. And it's. Looking at that, rather than beating yourself up over those imperfections, you see it as an opportunity for growth, as a as a learning opportunity, and that's what this is about. Okay, I can I can go with that. I just I don't think you should just say, "Oh, I'll never be able to do that." No, and that's not. This is this is taking the imperfections for what they are and be able to embrace the benefits to them as opposed to just saying, I'll never be perfect and I shouldn't try. Harahachibu. I said it a little faster that time. Oh, so. I'll give you that one. Eating until you're 80% full. Okay, this, yeah, makes sense. I mean, I, there's not a lot to flesh out there. Right. <laughs> no, okay. Stop eating a couple of bites early. 
but it but it goes into other other areas of your life too. But the idea that you don't have to be fully satiated to be complete. Well, and also the ideal that you shouldn't be deriving all your joy from what you eat. Right. You know, my biggest obstacle to weight loss is the fact that I enjoy eating. And that a lot of times, rather than eating something that tastes bad that would be good for me, I just seem not eat. That's right. I just, you know, if I'm not going to enjoy it, why am I bothering? So I, I can see that. Um, Shikata Ganai, accepting what you cannot change. Okay. That's that's a that's an AA principle. That's a principle everywhere. You know, right? There's serenity prayer, so forth and so on. Yeah, I, I don't mean to glance over these, but some. But of these we're running have, long, and you want to get to forest bathing. Yeah, some of these have more. <laughs> Shinrin Yoku forest bathing. I call it tree therapy. This is the one that matters to me. Just walking out into the woods and being part of nature. Going out there, and I'm not talking about building a shower outside. I'm talking about just going out into the woods and being part of nature. Although, showering outside is a religious experience. Be rough in my neighborhood. Well, I've, I've told you before, and I think I may have even said on the podcast, how I'll know that I've made it. And, you know, the next house we move into, I fully intend to design and build myself. We'll have the opportunity with privacy, of course, to step through my shower into an outdoor shower from my bathroom. It's amazing. I've designed a number of those. And for, but for me, I would, I'd rather have my toilet outside. I'd rather be able to that's, sit outside and take, you know. That's good, too, and one of my favorite parts of camping. Yeah. Full, full disclosure, you know, you've got the babbling brook helping get things moving. You've got the deer prancing through the mountain. Like, yeah, it, that's good. But there's something about being at one with nature while you're watching nature that's... Yeah, we're, we won't go too deep into that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the forest bathing, you know, it, it, it pains my heart to think there are people that don't do this. Yeah. That there are people that never just go out in the woods and be part of the woods, never go out and just feel, feel you know, watch the sunrise, feel nature come alive, feel the day open up hear the thunder in the distance. It, it, it bothers my heart there's people that don't do that. You know, we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and my 15-year-old... Of, have you ever met a 15-year-old that didn't sleep until 10 a.m.? Rarely. Rarely. We're sitting out one night, and she goes, I want to see sunset on the beach. I said, well, we're on the Atlantic Ocean. That's going to be kind of tough because there's trees and houses, and if you want to see the sun on the beach, it's a sunrise. She goes, Okay. Let's go see the sunrise tomorrow. All right, I'll get up. I'll get up if you will. So we set an alarm for five forty-five on vacation. But when a fifteen-year-old says they're willing to do that, you do it. You go right? for it. And it was awesome. We saw turtle tracks. We saw horseshoe crab carcasses. We like, and we watched the sunrise over the beach. Shells found a whole sand dollar. Just awesome experience. And and yeah, I think. I, I think it's great to set those si- those times aside, even if it's like something that I don't think necessarily counts with this, but just walking the dog in the morning. Oh, yeah. Just getting up extra early and walking the dog when it's peaceful before the world's kind of woke up, mm-hmm. especially if you've got a park or somewhere you can go where you do have a few trees around you and, right. you know, a few squirrels and things like that. I think it makes a big difference. I think, I, I it's think it does, too. Absolutely valuable. So tell me what you think of the bull and bear. You know, it's a seven. Uh, it, it's 
absolutely, in my opinion, the best in their line. And yeah, I would, I'd, I'd jump over several burning children to get another one. That's a, that's a strong rating, and it's rare for us both to have a seven in the show. Yeah, but I mean, the Goldie's a seven. The Goldie is exactly as advertised. It's smooth. It's light. It's it's not creamy. You still know you're smoking a cigar, yeah. but it's just a great flavor. I am going to put a little bit of an asterisk on my seven. It's still a seven, but I go back to maintaining what I said at the top of the show that you should be on a full stomach. It's not that I'm getting anything. It's not that I'm not enjoying it. I'm actually handling it pretty well, but I do think the experience is enhanced by already being sort of full and satiated and and then putting this as the icing on the cake. Makes sense. So how do they get a hold of us? He reaches at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and email info at the cigarcast.com. Thank you everybody for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and thank you all of us.